Brother Hobbs said he was doing me a favor by putting me here. I don't know what's worse, people mad at you because they're crabby and hungry or whether they fall asleep on you. I guess it's better if you fall asleep on me. I don't like getting hurt. <laughs> well, we counted it a privilege to be here and I uh, always enjoy coming here and fellowshipping with the saints, hearing God's word being preached and and uh, the talents that we see here and the singing and just thank God for it. We want to turn in our Bibles. Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. Verse 16, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I preach to you upon the subject of why I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Now, when I say that, in case there's some misunderstanding about that, in some places I wouldn't think here, but some places uh, that is very confusing because there's all kinds of different versions, as they call it. When I say why I believe that the Bible is the Word of God, I'm talking about the authorized version the King James Version. And so there's no misunderstanding, confusion, which these other perversions really produce. They don't produce a better understanding, but confusion amongst the various uh, people in the church when you have all these different kinds of versions around. But I thank God that in Psalm 68, verse 11, it says, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Uh, there's, you know, there's, in this country, we've been blessed with so many who are publishing the Word of God. They're, they're proclaiming the Word of God. We've been blessed so much, even in this day, to be able to, to proclaim and publish the Word of God, not only here, but all over the world at one time. It, it's, it's phenomenal, and what a blessing it is. In Isaiah chapter 40. It says, the grass withereth, in verse 8, the flower faded, but the word of our God shall stand forever. They've tried to stamp it out. They've tried to stop it. They've tried to bind the word of God, but the word of God cannot be bound. It cannot be stopped. It cannot uh, be in any way hindered. It's too powerful. It's too precious to the people of God. You know, they, uh, it, it will not cease, it will not return void to the purpose that God has sent it to purpose. The Word of God has not been lost. It has not been changed, corrupted any more than Jesus Christ, the living Word, has been lost, changed, or corrupted. The Scriptures 
clearly and emphatically declare to us in Psalms 119, verse 89, Forever, Amen. O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. But today, like no other day, we hear Satan saying, Did God say? Begin to question. Even so bold to flatly say, God, thou shalt not surely die. And boldly contradict and brazenly deny the word of God. But you know, that's a tired old strategy. Satan was doing it way back in the book of Genesis, and guess what? God's word is still being proclaimed today. And that we should be encouraged by, that God is going to see to it that His Word endures forever. He keeps His promise. You know, um, the old saying is that a man is only as good as his word. And a look, uh, when we think about the various gods that are out there today, I look at the God of the Mohammedans, I like to call them, not Muslims, but Mohammedans, the God of the uh, Buddhists, the God of the Hindus, and all these other isms and religions out there have, if you've ever read any of those writings, and if there's anything to it that a man is only as good as his word, or God is only as good as his word, there are tons of untrue, contradictory statements in those writings. That tells me right there that they're not very good. I cannot rely upon them. I cannot depend upon them when it comes to my eternal destiny. It's a comfort in our day today where there's so much darkness and so uh, much confusion and uncertainty. Where Peter says there in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. I like this. Uh, some of you may have read this before. It's sometimes in the beginning of Bibles. But I think it's a very comforting and enlightening comment. It says, This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy. Its precepts binding. Its histories are true. And its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise. Believe it to be safe. Practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you. Food to support you and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, test the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently. Prayerfully, it is a mine of wealth and a paradise of glory and a river of pleasure. It is given 
you in life, it will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It includes the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its sacred contents. Why I believe the Bible is the Word of God, I'm going to give you five proofs on why I believe the Bible is the Word of God. Number one, I want to start out with the biblical proof that the Bible is the Word of God. From its own contents, and really, in so many ways, that's enough. Because uh, I thought Brother... Mike was going to bring uh, this one out and, and tread on, on, on some, some of my ground, but uh, there in Romans ten seventeen, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The truths that are in this, in this Bible, beautiful. Think about it. When we just look at the contents of the Holy Scriptures... The beautiful truths that are in there, such peace and harmony there would be if everybody would keep the Word of God in their hearts and it might not sin against God. What kind of world would it be? It'd be like heaven on earth. I mean, really. That tells you something about the contents of this book. What God has said in His Word, we saw in our text, but even when we look at John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is that Word? The Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. The living Word, Jesus Christ. He is the Word. There uh, in first, 2 Peter 1, verse 21, For this prophecy came, not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And then again in Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 2, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nursed and brought up children, they have rebelled against me. And then 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, or the word of Jim Christ, or any one of us, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And then Peter again there in 1 Peter 1, verse 23, it says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as a flower of grass. The grass withered and fire thereof falleth away. And here we go, we have a quote from Isaiah, is that the Lord, word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And then we have the solemn warning there at the end of the scriptures in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. For I testify unto every man 
and heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the prophecy of the book, God shall take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now again, as we consider the proof, the biblical proof, we see the very statements of God supporting that he has preserved his word. But we see also the unity of the writers. You can see from the evidence of the scriptures that there is something sacred and divine about the contents of, these, of this book. It's written over 15 centuries in three different languages during which empires rose and fell, cultures came and went, but the Bible has remained the same. What can, can you say anything like that about any other book that's, that's on the face of this earth? There's something special about this book. It was written by 40 different uh, people. 40 different people. From kings, fishermen, tax collectors, shepherds, prophets, and even a, a physician. And yet, it's all in harmony. So diverse of a group of people, not just in their vocation. Moses, who was a highly educated man. He was educated in Pharaoh's court. To Peter, who was an unlearned fisherman. Though they wrote in different times, they harmonized perfectly. The books were also penned in various circumstances and in different countries and cultures, in Asia, in Africa, in Europe. Paul wrote from a dungeon in Rome and, and we see that James wrote from Jerusalem and Moses from Sinai and Daniel from Babylon. But all in perfect harmony and unity. The Bible discusses also diverse theological matters such as the nature of God and His purposes, the characteristics both of good and evil angels, the nature of man, God's plan of redemption. It would be difficult to get ten of us maybe to agree on theological matters sometimes. But here we have God's Word in perfect harmony and unity. Can you imagine a medical book written over 1,500 years' time and it was still up to date in every way how to cure people? Uh, it's, it's unthought of. But yet that is what we have in the Holy Scriptures. But not only do we have the unity of the writers, we have the unity of the theme. We see uh, the uh, theme of sin and how that man fell because of sin and all the all the, the misery and the judgment that came as a result of man sinning, the curse that came upon even the ground and upon mankind in general, and even as it affected all of creation. But then we also see a unity of theme in that grace came. Grace came through a Messiah that is revealed way back in the book of Genesis that he was going to... Uh, tread and, 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 and stomp on the head of the serpent and showing that Jesus Christ, the seed of the woman, what, uh, from 
Eve would come and would give us life eternal through His grace and by His grace. So we have the unity of theme. We have the unity of the writers. We have the unity of the theme. We see the unity of structure. We find that in the New Testament, there are 180 quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And so precise are these quotes, so precise that the Hebrew plural singular noun Elohim in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, translated into God, opens a way for a fuller revelation of the Trinity later on down the line. So precise is the structure of the Holy Scriptures. And then finally, we see a unity in the symbolism. We see the types and shadows of the Old Testament. Are, there's a unity. It all points to who? Jesus Christ. We see the types and shadows of the priesthood that points to Jesus Christ. We see the types and shadows of the tabernacle and the temple. And there's all this unity of the types and shadows. And it's all a unity that points to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. I mean, after all, He's the living Word. He is the Word that became flesh. And so we, we have the biblical proof why the Bible is the Word of God, but we also have historical proof. Biblical proof and historical proof. So we see, uh, you know, it's amazing if you study uh, this, how that scholars and historians and archaeologists demand a higher standard for the Bible as to whether it's real or not than any of the other documents that they might find. They take other historical documents at face value and seldom think that they need independent confirmation. But they do for some reason with the Bible. Interesting. The fact is there is a massive amount of evidence regarding biblical history and no archaeological find is found at all to discredit the Bible as being in error. They have not found one. There's so much evidence. It's amazing in comparison to other ancient documents. And it's just the fact that they don't have faith. They don't believe. Even ancient heathen archaeological records record a worldwide flood the Tower of Babel. The Jewish historian Josephus even mentions the resurrection of Christ, the altar to the unknown God that Paul referred to, the Dead Sea Scrolls, to name just a few. So not only is there biblical proof, there's historical proof, and there is also prophetical proof. Isaiah predicted, this is amazing, Isaiah predicted King Cyrus of Persia would not only conquer Israel, but the Babylonians and allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem 150 years before it happened. This was before Persia was even a blip on the radar. Notice what it says in Isaiah 44, verse 26, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited... And to the cities of Judah ye shall be built, 
And I will raise up the decayed places thereof that happened during the captivity and the, and the uh, siege that, that Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar put upon them. That saith to the deep, Be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. That saith of Cyrus, by name. This was a hundred years before Cyrus was even born. 150 years before he became king of Persia. He named him by name. He is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built. And to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. He goes on there in Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. I will loose uh, the loins of kings to open before him. The two leave gates, and the gates shall not be shut. And I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. Prophetical proof. I mean, and then we find it um, fulfilled there in Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1 as they return from captivity. I mean, can you imagine, and we think about just this one account. Can you imagine if, some, if we're still around in 150 years, if somebody could predict by name who the next president is going to be? I mean, it'd be amazing, wouldn't it? But that's exactly what God did when he spoke about Cyrus by name. Daniel's prophecies about the nations of Greece and Rome is another evidence of prophetical proof. We see the multitude of Messianic prophecies where Jesus was born in Micah chapter 5 talks about Bethlehem. Specifically, it says, the, uh, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from of old, from everlasting. And then we find, we can look over there in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We could turn to Isaiah chapter 53. We could turn to Isaiah, our, our Psalms chapter 22. And go on and on and see how, see the prophetical proof that the Bible is the Word of God. So not only do we have the biblical proof, not only do we have the historical proof, not only do we have the prophetical truth, but we have the empirical tr proof. Or you could say scientific uh, proof. You know, when you think of scientific, they like to say, well, we believe uh, you got to see it. The first uh, uh, step in the scientific method is observation. And uh, so they make a big to-do about that until you start talking about evolution. They weren't back there. So anyway, they, they want to talk about it then. But notice what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from creation of the word are clearly seen. There you go. Right there. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And it goes on down to verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie, speaking of those who rejected it, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
It's not a matter of whether uh, um, the Bible is in line with science. Science is not the standard. The science that is, that is produced by modern, fallible, sinful man. It's a matter as to whether science lines up with the Bible. The Bible is the standard. I mean, we look at, um, you know, if they would have recognized that, they could have recognized in the book of Isaiah where it talks about the circle of the earth, that the world is not flat. <laughs> it's round. And you could see uh, in, in looking at the scriptures uh, that the second law of thermodynamics, because everything's in a state of decay because of what? Sin. And so we could go on and on how that the scriptures show us empirical or scientific proof. So we have, why is the Bible the word of God? Because we have biblical proof, because we have historical proof, because we have prophetical proof, and we have empirical proof. And then now, I want to give you personal proof. Personal proof. As I mentioned before, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I grew up in a home where there was a lot of doubt cast on the Bible. We used it and used various passages, but I was taught that there were errors in it, and you had to be very careful. Well, after God saved me, I had to work through all that. And I asked, Lord, if there's anything wrong with this book, please show me. And I read through the entire Bible. God never showed me that there was anything wrong with that book. I recognize faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. There's got to be a person. I could stand here all day, and a lot of these men I hear much more eloquent and much more uh, well-versed in the scriptures could stand up here all day, all weekend, for a week, all throughout the whole year. But until you have faith imparted into you, you'll never believe it, as you should. But notice, let's look at some personal proofs here. We see the radical transformation of Christians down through time. The personal proof. Abraham, leaving all that he had there in Ur of the Chaldees, uh, leaving his homeland, leaving his family to follow God's word. He believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He believed God's word when he said to go, and he left. Matthew, the tax collector, he forsook everything to follow Jesus Christ. Peter, James, and John forsook their nets to follow Jesus Christ. They believed his word. There is some personal proof. The wild man of the gatherings, his life was totally transformed. Instead of running around naked with chains and, and, and just crazy because of the demon possession that he uh, suffered, he was because of the word Jesus Christ. He was sitting clothed in his right mind. That's the personal proof.
Saul, who persecuted Christians, who became the Apostle Paul, was radically transformed as he heard the Word himself speak from heaven. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was a man, in, in our terms, who was a partier, and yet God transformed his life. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, was a slave trader, and he was radically transformed. That's the personal proof. Multitudes of people who gave their lives even unto death for the cause of Christ. We think of the apostles who gave their lives, and I say this oftentimes, the apostles wouldn't have given their lives for a fabricated story about the resurrection of Christ. It was the truth that set them free from the world's fatal attraction to follow Jesus Christ, the true liberator. And we could go around in this assembly and hear testimony of the personal proof that the Bible is the Word of God and go around and you all can testify how that the Word of God transformed your lives. Untold multitudes been martyred for their faith. In days gone by, I Baptist forefathers, though those in Mohammedan and communist countries even today. So someone might say, well, all right, so what? The Bible's the Word of God. All right, you got me. Well, there, it, it, is, it does make a difference. Jesus said, when Satan tempted him there in the wilderness, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You're dead meat for Satan if you don't have the word of God, if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life. It's important that you embrace God's word with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Embrace it by faith. If you don't have faith in God's word, you don't have faith. You know, the scripture tells us it's impossible to please God without faith. So what does that mean? Well, if I'm not pleasing God, that means I'm displeasing God. And if you look at the scriptures, you find out real quick you don't want to be on the other end of God's displeasure. There's eternal consequences for rejecting the Word of God, this Bible as being the Word of God. My counsel to you is the counsel of the Scriptures to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. May God help you to embrace this and may we rejoice in it more and more as we see the day approaching that we have the very Word of God in our possession and we have the proof Biblical proof, we have historical proof, we have prophetical proof, we have empirical proof, and we have personal proof. God bless you.